Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and, well, that's not correct for this week, but I'm going to say Python. Uh, we're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 375. You're going to talk about the uh, the event that's coming up here soon, Parker? Oh, I, I thought you were going to do something, but okay. Yeah. Um, Wait, was I supposed to do something? <laughs> I don't remember there being something I was going to do. So in, what would it be, like two weeks when this episode comes out? May the 4th is May the Fab Be With You. It's a MacroFab event. If you go to macrofab.com slash events, you can read more about it. Um, it's a in-person live event for our like engineering meetup here in Houston, Texas. Um, with our new facility, which is totally done. It's not done yet. Still still moving in and moving stuff around. It'll never be done. You say that. The, the last place we were at, we were done with it like a couple years in. Well, no, it wasn't done. You guys were done. Yeah, we it. were done with that place. That's, that's the difference. That is, that you're right. You're right. <laughs> we should have moved like four years ago. <laughs> that old place. Yeah, you guys- <laughs> right. Yeah, you outgrew that for sure. Yeah. So our new like forty eight thousand square foot new HQ, I guess, warehouse, office place, manufacturing line is uh we're gonna have a tour, all that good stuff. So go to macfab.com slash events for all the information and go uh I think you have to register as well. Um because there's gonna be food, drinks, that kind of stuff. Good networking with other engineers. Yeah, very good networking. I can't wait. Um, I'm seeing if there's any other. Do you guys still have the uh, the the iPad on the Segway robot thing? Fortunately, no. Well, it's oh. still, it still exists, but the battery's finally just gone. Oh, it's just toast. Yeah. I I I would love to log in and just say hi to people. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, I think it's got a dead battery now. And the iPad is so old in it that you can't, like, update it or anything. Well, yeah, so check out that event. Um, they're super fun, and uh, go see the new headquarters. All right, so our first topic today, this is going to be kind of like an old-school episode where we have, like, three topics. Yeah. Um, Way old-school, and we should add an RFO. <laughs> oh, we should have an RFO. <laughs> Maybe we'll come up with one during the whole podcast. Yeah, okay. If you come up with one, we'll, we'll throw yeah, it in. Yeah. Okay, so what's the first topic? Uh, why is... This is a question that was on Reddit, um, and this is actually kind of jives with what Steven's been working on the past week and a half? Uh, almost three, actually. Almost three weeks now? Um, it's, why is Python requested in embedded software firmware engineering jobs? And I would also expand it to just like electrical engineering jobs in general. Um, so I'll post a link to the Reddit thread in our, our show notes. Um, but uh, this is a very good question. And this is actually something that I've been like learning myself as well for the past couple of years. Um, we talk about Python a lot here as a, uh, as a tool for engineers to rapidly iterate uh, scripts and uh, data manipulation and that kind of stuff. Well, and, and just to kind of, jump off of that the word that you said that is the key word there is rapid uh, python is just very fast if you need to execute something python is typically capable of doing it and um 
the and and doing it quickly. And if you don't know how to do it, it's easy to figure out how to do it. I think that's one of the main one of the main reasons why it is requested as uh, engineers should know it is that um, it just doesn't have the overhead and the 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 I don't know what the right word is. It's not so onerous to begin with. Like like if you're if you're doing a C sharp or C plus plus whatever. Uh, a program there's a lot of overhead that you have to start with in order to get just to the point where you can you know print hello world kind of thing whereas with python you just go it's just so much faster yeah i think it's just a really useful tool i mean honestly like any kind of higher level language like c plus plus c sharp that kind of stuff that's running on a pc can probably do and it can do it can do what i'm about to talk about which is kind of like gluing systems together. Um, and what I mean by that is like, let's say you're building uh, some hardware and some software to test your product that you're designing, your your hardware project. And you want to basically, let's say, measure how much current it pulls and then put the device into sleep mode and then measure its current in sleep mode and then take the difference. Um, the great thing about Python is is it has such a breadth of like modules that people have already written. And this is sure with all other libraries, but it seems that people have kind of not so much standardized on, but standardized on Python to do this kind of work. Um, with it uh, basically using like stuff like Skippy and, and PyVisa to be able to talk to multimeters um, other devices like that. Sure, you can just open up a COM port and and hit it with some C plus plus to do the same serial communication, but it's going to be a lot more uh, verbose ways to do that. Whereas in like Python, it's seriously like import PyVisa and then it's like PyVisa dot write and then your command. That that that's it. <laughs> um, I think that's like all you need to do to talk to like a multimeter which is kind of crazy. That's just like two lines of code. And well, and that's, and that's the thing. Like it's not only is it just two lines of code, but say you go into work, you didn't know you needed to talk to a multimeter that day and you needed to figure out how to talk to a multimeter that day, you know, get Python, learn those two lines of code and you're already talking to it. That's where the, the power of Python comes in. It's just how easy it is to execute a high-level thing. And there's probably a library or a module that someone has made out there that does what you're looking for. So it's also easy to import stuff. Yeah, it's kind of interesting where we actually had this discussion with Embedded.fm, the, the folks over there, where software engineers are totally fine just doing like import module whatever and kind of trusting it's going to do what it should be doing whereas a hardware engineer is like i am going to design my own footprint libraries because i don't trust anything right and you have to play both sides there you have to be the engineer that won't trust anyone for physical stuff but in the software world you're going to trust anything <laughs> well, trust, trust and test, right? Yeah, trust and test. But what I'm saying yeah. is, you, you're playing both sides of the aisle at that point. But why is it requested? It's 
I, it, this goes back to what you were talking about where you were looking at um, uh, finding a new job, Stephen. And we're like, you're starting to see where um, these, uh, they're looking for more, what in the software world you would call, talk as a full stack developer. They're looking for like full stack engineers that do more than one discipline. Absolutely. Yeah. And <clears throat> more than one discipline, but I don't, well, it, it, it certainly depends. Like if, if, if you're, if your business is large enough that you can afford having a full-time uh, software developer or firmware developer, a lot of times they're going to do that. And then, and then the, uh, uh, that, that job is not going to be part of the engineer's job. But, but I think with Python, just being able to be versatile is what they're looking for. Uh, such that if there a situation arises where we need somebody to just code up something quickly, y you would be capable of it. But if there's, you know, if they can support eight hours of day worth of coding, then they're, you know, that's not going to be part of your job description. Yeah, so. they'll get a, a an actual software developer to do that. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. But uh, but yeah, more and more, I think engineers are demanded to be to have that versatility as opposed to uh, specialties. I mean, as you grow in your, in your career, you'll gain specialties, right? But, but certainly when you're starting out being more versatile, I think is actually really helpful. And so knowing something like Python is, is great. You know, I'll give an example at my last job of what, um, an example of, of a situation that Python would, would have been really useful. I was going to do it and then just never really got around to it but for our production code that we use for our cncs we would export it from fusion 360 and sometimes the our you know overnight runs of of cnc work you know it would be a text file that was a hundred megabytes uh because it just had gazillions of lines of, of g code in it and uh fusion 360 played really nice with our cncs but there's one thing it did not do well and that was the um z probing so we had a we had a flip down probe that would go and probe the surface of our uh, of our material and then it would make a z map for for changing uh, the depths of things and fusion 360 was not good at implementing the codes for that so every g code file that we would make we would have to go manually just add in one line of code that was the command to flip down the sensor and go do a grid array. And it, it was dependent upon the product because sometimes the product would, you know, we'd be cutting half of our table, which was 500 millimeters by 600 millimeters in the Y. Some of our other products would be 900 millimeters wide by 600 in the Y. And so we just had slightly different commands for, for that. And the, uh, basically what I had was just an Excel calculator that would spit out the code and you would just copy and paste it in the text file. It's a really simple thing. So it, it wasn't so much of a problem that we needed to fix it. But I always had the thought that like, it would be really easy to have Python open up the script uh, and then just drop in whatever code was, was needed for it from and your Excel, rewrite your text file. Yeah. We, you could do it from the Excel or you could even make a little a GUI that would pop up and be like, what's the width? What's the, what's the depth? And then it would automatically just dump in. Oh yeah. What I'm all saying is I would take your formula from your Excel, put it in your Python code. And I wouldn't even have done the GUI. I would just done like, you know, command flags. Yeah. Basic, basically if you had the script 
and your 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 G code in one folder. You could just put them both in one folder. You run the script and it would just rewrite your G code and you're done. And so so that like that would have been a really simple script to write and uh, I just never got around to doing it. But I always thought it was like Python would be perfect for this. So in the past three weeks, you have been doing a lot of Python. Yeah, unfortunately, in the last week, I ha- I've done a bit less. Uh, just life has been a little bit hectic, but um, I've changed jobs recently. And in between jobs, I had two weeks off work. And uh, during that those two weeks, I logged into Udemy and I've been taking one of their Python classes. It's called the Complete Python Bootcamp from Zero to Hero in Python. Uh and and I chose this one because it has, I believe, a half a million, like four or five star reviews. So it's like on on the Unimi site, it's like the Python class to mm-hmm. take. Everything else is there's a lot of other classes that seem to be really good, but this one is just what everyone takes. And um what what I what I find kind of interesting about it is uh, I could see a lot of people actually disliking this class because it is not very fast. And it is so like they don't skip anything. It like they the first few things are here's how to install Python, and they like click through the websites with you, and uh-huh. like, they hold your hand in every possible way. But but it, I think I think that's one of the reasons why it has such a really high rating is because like when when you watch the videos, it's hard to not miss anything because they literally talk about every little thing and so um i'm i'm i don't know 20 30 percent of the way through the whole chorus and i'm just going to keep chugging my way through it so uh, mainly i've been going through all the here's data structures here's lists here's dictionaries here's uh tuples and here's all the little things and and all the syntax behind it but um uh, it's cool because they give use cases for all of these things too because uh, like t- tuples are a great example where it's like well why would you ever use a tuple if you can just have everything be a list but there, you know there's reasons for for all of these things to exist so uh, I've, to be frank you know with just being I don't know 20-30% of the way through the whole chorus it's been great so far because this is actually it's funny this is all the stuff that I never actually learned with python even though i've used python on stuff where like i never learned like the base syntax behind it Mm -hmm. i just started diving in and like stack overflowing my way through everything (laughs) right you know like which which is cool because you could do that with python you can just google your way to your solution Um, but it is nice to to learn the basics and yeah learn learn all the little quirks that are um Oh yeah, this this just flat out doesn't work. Or or like when you read a text file, like the fact that like the cursor actually moves through the text file. So then if you read it again, you're reading from the last line of a text file. So the second time you read a text file, you're reading the last line, so it appears empty, which is like a trap for new players. You have to rewind your cursor to the the beginning of the text file. Uh, so the, the you know just lots of little things like that where. Uh, you could get to reading a text file quickly, but if you didn't know something like that, then you get really confused after it. I think classes like this are really well-equipped for um, getting you past those things that would just be a giant headache until you figure that out. So I can, I'm can i planning on completing the course. It's just I've started my new job and 
that's consuming me <laughs> right now. I've always wanted to take like a more advanced uh, Python class. Um, maybe a if someone's out there knows of like maybe like Python backend web development um, using like AWS or something. Yeah, yeah. See, see where I've gotten to so far. I can't. I, I know that this this class I'm I'm taking goes more advanced. You would absolutely hate this class. Like, Probably. You would you would be really mad about this class <laughs> if you were, if you started it, uh, especially because it works in um uh it it's it's not running in an IDE like PyCharm or something okay. like that. They they run on Anaconda doing like the cells okay and stuff, which is which is really great to learn. Yeah, it's very by, good to learn. But because uh, you could just like you could basically rewind your code and fix issues like in line mm-hmm. effectively, which is it feels very academic. It doesn't feel very practical. Uh, so I'm kind of I've always done all my stuff in PyCharm and I'm I'm looking forward to getting out of the cells. PyCharm is um, as an IDE is really good. I've been actually starting to migrate over to VS Code, mm-hmm. which is like the software developers at Macrofab are like Parker. PyCharm's great, but here's what the big boys use. Ah. <laughs> and it is a quite extensive of an IDE. Um, but mainly I'm just learning, like, making, uh, like, I finally started, like, the past, like, six months using, like, a debugger properly in Python, which is quite nice. Like, using actually breakpoints and then... Um, being able to inspect your it's actually it reminds me of a lot of uh like doing microcontroller development where you like will pause you know your your code execution and you can just look at all your memory locations and all your variables think about that but now it's python running on your computer it's the same thing now i know it, like all the software developers out there are like probably like pulling their hair out listening to me say that like just like that but it's like if you don't know you can do it you don't know until you start doing it so yeah it wasn't until about like two and a half years after i started picking up python i'm like you know what i should really learn how to use a debugger in python and guess what it took all like 30 minutes to get it working and then yeah now now i the first thing i do for all my projects is set up the debugger so it just works out the gate you know, uh, on a tangent, real quick, um, you know, Arduino 2.0 has a debugger in it now. I've I've installed the new 2.0. Is it called 2.0? Yep. Okay. So I installed that, um, and I have been playing. I haven't messed around too much with it. Um, I do like what I've used so far with it, but I haven't done any development work in it yet. The it, apparently it only applies to the Arduino Zero. Well, the uh, I shouldn't ones, say that. Yeah. The, the Arduino Zero has a built-in debugger mm-hmm. on the board, but the uh, uh, if you don't have that, you have to have a Atmel ice or something. Oh yeah, yeah, to yeah, that, yeah, To actually do. Yeah, debugging. it doesn't make your Arduino Uno mysteriously have a proper debugger now. Debug over USB, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I wonder how that works in the newer. Um, because there's that Arduino um, Omni, Omni, which is their oh, PLC the, the, the industrial controller thing? Yeah. Because yeah. I've got one of those, and I'm, I have a project at work that I'm working on uh, doing that. i got to see if 
that has the proper debugger support over USB. Because I think it just has like a type C connection on it, which you could technically do a debugger over. It'd be definitely be fast enough. And if it's got the right hardware, then one of these days I might pick up a zero just for just for fun with that. And uh, j- just to try the um, the debugger. So I, so there's not just a bunch of print F. Hello. Yeah, print F I'm functions. here. Yeah. I got past this function. You oh, know, yeah. like those kinds of <laughs> we all we've all done it. Oh, don't yeah. lie. <laughs> I mean, I still do that sometimes in Python. It just depends. Yeah, whatever works, right? Why it's like why did this function just bomb out of the try? I have no idea. So where did it bomb out of the try? And so you just like set up some breakpoint. Well, now I just set up breakpoints and just like I'm able to step through it. But before it'd be like print, 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 print in between all <laughs> yep, the other yep. calls. And where did it stop printing? Yeah, where did it stop printing at? <laughs> it works. So that's Python. Um, I would say for electrical engineers just learn it besides like super like you're going to be a super like academic engineer and like I mean, even then just manipulating data it's super powerful for it can basically replace matlab i mean it's replaced matlab for what i do i was i was just about to say you probably just pissed someone off by saying that's a matlab bad boy probably but python's free so don't have to pay for matlab yeah, any kind of like, like that's half your, well, I say that's half your job. A, a, a big part of engineer's job is analyzing data and looking at it and figuring out trends to figure out what's going on and what's wrong. And Python can really help you out with that. Learn, yeah. learn, I'll put it this way. Learn how to write Python to do something and for your next project that you have to like figure out like data trends or whatever. Figure out how to do it in Python instead of building like eight Excel spreadsheets with like, yeah, don't do it that, don't do it the Excel spreadsheet way. Try to do it with some Python and see how far you get. The challenge. Okay, it's a challenge, yes, but, but, but if you do it in Python, it just depends on who the end user is going to be. Like, who are you trying to impress by doing that? Are you trying to impress yourself? Are you trying to impress your engineering buddies or your manager? No, or no. Are you trying the to thing impress is, someone else in your if company? If you do it in Python, guess what? Now you have a tool chain. So whenever you come across that data again, you just press a button and it spits out the answer to, for you. Well, I mean, the same could be said with Excel. So, and most times it's like copy paste columns and crap. <laughs> Pivot tables. Ugh. I hate Excel so much. I I would I would I would be wary about doing Python depending on who else had to use what I was doing. It just in that situation. Like if I was dealing with a finance guy, I wouldn't give them a Python script, I'd give them an Excel sheet. <laughs> Even if it was something complex. But I I, you know, I, I'm I'm not trying to say don't do it. I'm just saying like no know, know your audience. I guess so. Okay, uh, next topic. I've been uh, working on designing pinball harnesses, and so I needed some software that was not Autodesk or, I guess, Autodesk again, because it's Eagle, uh, to do harnesses. What, what, what do you mean by a harness? I need to be able to specify, like, connectors, wires, colors of wires, um, lengths, uh 
where like the where looms come together and break apart and while by loom is like a bundle of the wires or a bus maybe and and let in layout terms um, basically on the bottom side of a play field there's a giant rat there's a nest giant harness well yeah. it's not supposed to be a rat nest <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're using software to help it not be yeah. right um and before i would always design harnesses in first i did it in eagle for a while problem with eagle and any other eda tool is you only have a certain amount of colors like because you have a certain amount of layers that have colors um I guess technically there's like some layers in Eagle that Eagle doesn't really use. There's like a hundred of these like 200 plus number layers. Like it's like, it's like when you're looking at like you're flipping through the guy, the TV guide and you get to those like weird channels that you never watched that are like 300 something plus and you're never going to watch those. There's like 200 of those, right? It's like that. Um, but they and they all have like one color associated. So I guess technically you could go in and assign a color to those so you could have multiple colors for like lines and stuff on Eagle. Sounds like a pain in the butt though. And at the end of the day, you still don't have a way to manufacture that harness you designed, right? Like yeah. it's not like Except a pretty picture. Yeah, you have a picture. Um, and so then I started designing them in, in uh, Autodesk because Autodesk actually does have a way you can bring in like 3D models into a drawing. And so you can have like the connector there and then you can just draw the wires out and then do a dimensioning and all that good stuff. So you actually have a actual drawing you can give to someone and say, hey, make this, which is a step above the Eagle one, right? Because in Eagle doesn't have a drawing you can give unless you like did manually, the whole drawing manually, which, whew. Um, but so out of this fusion, you could make a drawing out of your design, um, which is kind of funny to kind of draw a harness in 3d space, but that's, I did that for a while cause that's the tool I had. Um, and then last Friday we were playing, uh, Warhammer dark tide with Steven, I, and a couple other friends and. I was like, man, I got to design this new harness and I don't want to do it the old way. And I haven't been able to find a piece of software. And Roz was just like, dude, I found this harness software called Rapid Harness. And I'm like, how did it like two minutes? Found like two minutes. <laughs> and apparently I was just not searching the right search terms or something. And we even asked our Slack channel and no one really had a good solution for it. Yeah. Anyways, I'm trying out this new software. We're not endorsed or anything. I don't know anyone over there. Um, I am. I designed a harness for my truck over the weekend, my box truck. Um, just using like the default parts that they have built into it. There's a lot of like stock parts that they have, almost kind of like McMaster, where like you can like pull in parts from their library. Kind of, actually, it's more like DipTrace, I should say. Where DipTrace has that standard library of components, of footprints. It's like that, but for c connectors. Um, and it seems to be... I like watched a lot of videos on it and stuff. It seems to be very powerful for this like one task it is, which is building a wiring harness and then building the instructions to build that harness. 
So like it will get you like here's your bill materials, here's your wire cut list. This is how you put everything together, and this is where the the loom and the bundles go together. These are where all the wires go into these connectors, all the pins and stuff. So it does all that, and that's all this tool does is design harnesses. Um, I'm currently on the free version of the software. It's kind of limited to do the pinball harness. I'm going to have to like pay for it, pay to play. And it's not the cheapest option, especially when you like you look at because you're looking at the pricing. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, yeah. not cheap because <laughs> you look at Autodesk Fusion of how honestly inexpensive that software is per month and how much functionality you get. And then you look at this piece of software and it's like all this does is design harnesses and it's like three X the price <laughs> more than that. Yeah. What would I think it's like, this is two two this is $200 a month. Yeah. 200 a month. Autos fusion is like 70. Auto, well, okay. So if you do a year of Autodesk Fusion, I think it's like four fifty. Okay. Okay, you're right. I pay per month, so got it. Yeah. I should pay for the whole year. Whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. Whatever. Still, it's it's a lot. That's what it's we're a getting lot. at. Yes. Um, in comparison for like functionality, like just raw functionality. Um, yeah, this is a ton. <laughs> it's it's a lot more. But if it solves my problem and it basically. Because designing the harness and fusion would take a long, 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 long time. I know that from experience. So if it halves the amount of work I have to do to design a harness, then it's worth it. So we'll see. We'll see by uh, next podcast if uh, it's working out or I'm like drawing it on a piece of paper and scanning it in to design the harness. So when it comes to designing a pinball harness, what comes to mind first is that it's almost like it makes sense in my mind to have someone build the entire table and then take it all apart, measure the things, and then make a drawing off of that. Kind of. So um, what I'm, how I'm going to do it is I have like a drawing. I basically have a drawing of like the whole layout. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then um, I have where all the components go. Okay. And then what I'm doing in my, in the software is putting those components all in like their relative areas in the design and then drawing out basically the net list is like the first thing you build of where everything gets connected. So pin one, pin one of conductor of connector one which is like, let's say it goes into like the pinball controller board, goes to pin two on the solenoid, that's the pop bumper. Let's just say that. And you're just drawing all those connections out. And then the next step is to actually like loom it together. And so that's where organizing all the parts in the right spots. And then you can just put them in nodes and build all the nodes out. And then you go in and put in the dimensions. And then you should then basically, but yes, at the what will be is basically to get all the dimensions as you go and build it so you have everything set up run all the wires how your loom is set up and then you take it all apart and measure your wire cut lengths and you put that into your drawing 
And then yeah, okay, boom, that, that's, done. That's basically yeah. That's what I was thinking. Um, I'm I'm actually doing something similar with the um, my guitar amps that I that I do. Like for my transformers, you know, you you buy them, you get 18 inches of of wire hanging out of your transformer. What I really want to do is have a cut list so I can basically cut them and crimp all of my connectors to them before they're even installed mm-hmm. such that once you slide them up in the chassis you've got no prep work to do other than just plug them into the board mm-hmm. and you're good to go yeah so i'm looking forward to it we'll see how it works out but i i think i have a i spent like a couple days or a couple afternoons just thinking about like the process of doing it effectively and making sure it's like mostly because it's not gonna be right the first time there's gonna be like a revision where like (laughs) we're like the wire link's gonna be like half an inch short or something like that right so it's like how do i get 95 percent of the way there on the first go around and then you spend the last like five percent tweaking numbers to get all the cut lists just right so are there are there like contract houses that make just harnesses for pinball machines or are is the main purpose of this to make it for in-house building both okay start in-house and then it will be probably built out of house once there's enough demand yeah because i would think that a pinball harness would be a very pricey thing just due to its complexity and just complexity in terms of number of wires i mean sure but it's you know it's no more complex than an automotive harness. I would think it. I would think it would be more complex just because it's like ten harnesses in one. You know. Well, a a pinball playfield, at least in terms of how I'm designing it, will have two two harnesses underneath it. Okay. Do you do like a high current harness and a signal harness? Yeah, basically. Got it. Okay. And and are you? I've seen them loomed before in the like um, the way you truss up a a roast. You know, oh yeah, you, you, no, you do the wire looping. Okay, just zip ties. Zip okay, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if I could have it uh, taped, I'd rather tape them. Um, but we'll probably just zip tie it. That's cheaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, and it's plenty good enough. Yeah, for all my for like all my automotive harnesses, I do. Um, I do, I basically, I put all like, cause I cut all the wires and do all the terminals and stuff. And then to kind of get the shape of the harness just right. And the links just right. The, t- the wires themselves, I just cut little pieces, of, you know, two inch long pieces of tape and then like wrap it every like foot or so to kind of keep it all together. And then I pull the harness out of the truck. Um, cause I actually did this over the weekend on the box truck. Is I built the harness for all the auxiliary stuff underneath the hood. So that's all done finally. But like I had to like build the whole harness out that, you know, spans like the entire engine bay and goes into the dash and connects up to all the switches and stuff. Built the whole harness, pulled it all out, and then taped the whole harness up so it's all covered in, in harness tape. And then put the loom on top of that, like the split loom. Now, I don't really like split loom anymore, which is that it's that nylon corrugated stuff. Um, I'm in like transitioning off of that. Uh, 
like my red Jeep, I started using um, this product called. Let me look it up real quick. Um, it's called like Easy Loom, but it's from Design Engineering Easy Loom, and it's a soft uh, split sleeve. Is it like the letter E Z Loom? No, E A S Y. Yeah. Okay, so full on. And it's softer. So it's not as it's not not solid nylon, which is like what the corrugated loom stuff is. Um and honestly, I really like it because it one, it looks awesome. <laughs> when you when you yeah. put your and it also it wraps like all the way around the wire. And so you don't it have actually, to split. it looks like it overlaps itself. Yeah, it overlaps itself. It looks great when it's like all put together and it doesn't eat your fingers up when you're like yeah. putting the wires in. Whereas like the that other stuff is like sewer pipe. That corrugated nylon loom, it just eats my fingers alive. Yeah. And so I have a whole bunch of leftover of that though from like I actually ripped all of it out of the Jeep and did the whole Jeep in Easy Loom, which was awesome. It looks great. Uh, but I had all like a whole cabinet full of this old loom. And so I'm using it on the box truck. Yeah, this is not necessarily the cheapest stuff out there. Easy loom? No, it's not. It's it's not terrible. It's what twenty dollars for ten feet. Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, I guess it's not really that bad. Yeah, I think a master kit costs how much does it cost? Cost that this? the master kit was one hundred and fifty six. Yeah, but it's got like it's got a ton of stuff in it. Uh, it's got over a hundred feet in it. Yeah, of different sizes. So I I basically like I have a master kit, and then when I run out of one, I just order a spool. Um, I think the box truck is like the eighth thing I've wired, eighth car I've wired up for my life. So figuring out like the best practices and stuff to building a, a loom that, you know, it's going to last forever. Um, but yeah, I ripped all the corrugated stuff out of the red Jeep over, you know, the first half of the COVID, uh, uh, the COVID pandemic, I ripped it all out and put easy loom in just because I was adding a whole bunch more electrical stuff and kind of fell in love with it. It's just so much, yeah. it's just so much easier on your hands <laughs> and it just yeah. looks nicer. Yeah. 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 Um, but for and the, it's, yeah, it's gotta be temperature resistant too, right? Yeah. It's already, it already has temperature rated and that kind of stuff. It's, it's definitely not as abrasive resistant as like the nylon split loom, but most time your wires aren't anywhere near anything that can abrade it anyways it's not supposed to be yeah so yeah, you're doing something wrong if it is you're doing something wrong if it is um but on the truck i'm like okay i got a whole cabinet full of this stuff i need to get i need to use it so i'm, I'm using it for that project um, i'll post a picture of the harness i made or one of them there's two in it now now i have like all the electrical done for the truck side of the box truck now now i get to do like the electrical for the rv side which is a whole different ball game there very cool mm -hmm. yeah if anyone out there has like harness software just lay down some recommendations because i'm not fully married to this one yet um it's just the best you've seen so it's far. the best i've seen so far and i was impressed with like 
how powerful the like editor part of like building the net list and then putting the loom together and then like it doesn't seem to really care about what order you build it in right like so if you're like oh i know these are the connections i need but i don't know the length right or what kind of wire i don't know about that yet i just know it needs to be connected it allows you to build it as you gain knowledge about the harness that's convenient yeah so and then you just change characteristics of the connections yeah like the wire and the wire and stuff yeah that's cool yeah that that's what's interesting because it, it kind of builds it like it it's a more like an eda tool where it's like you're building a net like your schematic is building a net list for you and you're, you're building the connections not so much like oh this connection is going to have one amp flowing through it, so it needs to be 40 mils wide already. Like, you don't have to make that decision when you draw that connection on your schematic. So it's the sub- right. Very that, that decision gets made down the line. Down the line. That's cool. And it, and it builds it the way that you would physically build it for the first time. Mm-hmm. So Where you know these things need to be connected, you just haven't made the decision on... What's doing the connection? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm hoping by like end of this week, I have like my net list done for this harness and we'll see if, you know, that happens or not. <laughs> I, I would think with a pinball machine, it's probably pretty thick, that net list. Yeah. Because there's a, big, a ton a, of connections. It's a big old, what, what, what's the thing I don't like? Spreadsheet? It's a big old spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. What's the thing I don't like? Yeah, it's a big old spreadsheet. Because, I mean, every light, every little bumper, every little thing that goes, like, that is at least two wires. At least two wires. Yep. It's a lot of wire in a pinball machine. It was something like, there was a documentary that was done on Stern a couple years back, and they were like, the, it's like there's like more wire in a pinball machine than in a car, which I don't think is true, but maybe at the time it was yeah maybe at the time yeah um because i know there's a even in my wagoneer even in my checker there's a lot of actually the checker doesn't have that much wire i'll take that back the wagoneer has a lot of wire though but like the checker barely has any wiring it's like the the wiring harness that goes to the rear is like five wires just two lights just the lights (laughs) yeah Once you start yeah, adding I, I motors, would, I would and bet stuff. A, mo- a modern car probably has a ridiculous amount of wires. I think wiring is like the second most cost in a car nowadays. Really? Yeah. Huh. Besides, like metal, <laughs> <laughs> all the sheet metal, and well, they got like different alloys and stuff, and strengths of metal now, like all bonded and pressed together to make the crumple zones. Like modern car body structure is very complicated. Whereas like old car was like thick metal stamp done. <laughs> yep, yep. And an old new cars and, and are if like that wasn't if that wasn't safe, more metal. More metal, yeah. Whereas old, new cars are like there's like three or four layers, like and the, especially in the crash structure, which is like the 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 part that goes around, like they call it the passenger bubble. Super strong. Mm, cool. Well, I'm excited to see it. I, I'd, I'd love to see if you have any examples, just like random 
test harnesses. Yeah, we'll see if I can share the harness uh, when it's done. Or uh, you don't have to share like the official one. If That's you just true. Have, like, I can make an example of off of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I would just like to see a picture of it. I think yeah. it'd be cool. So I've been uh, I've been back to working on uh, my CNC a bit. Um, I'm actually accelerating getting that done. My my goal was to have the CNC cutting something by the end of the summer, but uh, due to some things changing, like I I really want to get that sooner. Uh, and so I, I ended up getting a, uh, a one of the axes moving just because I needed to prove out a handful of things about it. And mainly I wanted to prove were my calculations correct about like feeds and speeds capability with stuff. So the gantry that goes width wise across. So, so my CNC, basically, if you take a top view down, it's a square, basically, uh, because the whole purpose of the CNC is to be able to cut five by five for, uh, plywood sheets so i just basically made a square it's a little bit bigger in one direction than the other but the, the gantry direction going across the width of the cnc is uh is the x direction so it's like if you're looking down the cnc and the gantry runs left to right that's your x direction okay and then the gantry moves closer or further away from you that's the y direction so the x direction i have a 1950 millimeter ball screw so it's two meters minus two inches basically uh pretty close to that so uh 1950 millimeter ball screw which that's a that's a pretty damn long ball screw mm -hmm. uh, you, you usually don't see them much longer than that because you get droop uh, but you also run into ball screw whip being an issue so if you take a piece of metal like that and you start spinning it really fast and it's not and it's you know, supported in different ways it gets to a point where it starts to oscillate and it wobbles all over the place uh and and people usually call that ball screw whip and typically there's a critical speed at which you can rotate a ball screw and um anything up you know up to that uh critical speed is acceptable and then once you reach that that's when you start to get the crazy whip on it and so a lot of times it's not your your drives or your computer or your power supply or your motors or anything that are the limiting factor in terms of your speed. It's more just how fast you can spin the ball screw. That is your top speed that your machine can go. And so I designed around the my ball screws uh, to see what, what my top speed was. So in the calculators I used online, there's, there's a gazillion. You can do just go to Google and type in critical ball screw critical ball screw calculator basically and you put in a handful of values and all of the all of the stuff i've researched with given the characteristics of my ball screw looked like i was going to get about 600 rpm was my max speed and so, so any higher your the it would just start to oscillate but oscillate but very but but it gets violent pretty quick okay like to the point where you do damage to things okay uh especially if you think about it if you have the head of the machine all the way at one end now your supported distance between the end and is that the, the next greatest? point that that ball screwed is the greatest length yeah okay especially and on top of that if you have your acceleration value set really high you immediately start you know spinning that ball screw as fast as you can past 
you know, 600 RPM, that's the, that's a recipe for it to just oscillate like a madman. And so I calculated that 600 RPM was going to be my max speed. The pitch of my ball screw is 10 millimeters. And so it, it ended up working out. I'm, I'm jumping in between <laughs> units? units here. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but, but I, I jump between units because in terms of most of my CNC stuff, most of my plywood CNC work, I, I do it in Imperial. Uh, o- almost all of my metal work I've, I've done in metric. And I find, I honestly, I find it useful to be able to just like talk about either and jump between them. And so sorry for people out there, but like, I, I just use both. Uh, so when it comes to, speed, yeah, that's a very electrical engineering thing, by the way. Well, yeah, you know, when it, when it comes to how fast something is moving, I like Imperial. Like I, cause my mind, I like, if I say, if I say 300 millimeters a second, that doesn't mean a whole lot to, you know, imperial thinkers. But if I say like four inches a second, like that, you can, you can conceptualize that most of the time easier. But if I say 300 millimeters, just as a, as a distance, not a speed, like for me, at least I can, I can visualize it a lot easier. So, so in terms of speeds, I, I'm working with imperial. So at, at a, at a RPM of 600, I, that, would max out about four inches a second uh, worth of travel speed. Not the fastest thing out there, but I, I could live with it because here's the thing. Most of my cut speeds, my top cut speeds are around two inches a second. So double, double double my cut speeds would, would be my rapid speeds. Still slow, but I could live with it. So I ended up getting this ball screw and putting it on my gantry with the expectation that I was going to get four inches a second. Well, I also... Uh, got drives and a hybrid stepper motor. I ended up going with a NEMA 34. So I went big chonky guy and a 12 Newton meter uh, motor, which is, it's beefy. I I did, I did a few calculations on the, um, how much force it would apply. And I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but if I remember it, like just doing calculations into weight, uh, using force calculations, it was like 700 pounds worth of force or something like that, uh, which is, ridiculous right we're once again we're talking about plywood here it does like you don't need 700 it'd be like for you pushing on a router bit yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) it it, it would be if you get your hand in the way your hand loses you know that that kind of thing uh and so so I, i i get this all hooked up and I, and I take it up to speed and it does two inches a second no problem great so my my cutting speeds are like no problem for this thing. So I take it up to four inches a second. No ball screw whip. So I'm at my critical speed, 600 RPM. Uh, So, okay, let's start taking it past. And I keep going up like inch, inch, inch. I actually haven't reached the point that uh, there's ball screw whip. Uh, So I don't know exactly what I have done wrong. Uh, All all the calculators online. Well... I can't think of what I've done right because it's literally just a ball screw that's supported on both ends. Um, but 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 the thing is, I've I've taken it up now to eighteen hundred RPM, which is three times what the max speed would be, and that is just a hair under uh, a foot a second on this thing. And it was it was fine. It was now. I say fine. I'm not. I'm never going to run it at that speed, and mainly that's just what's the point of that much excess wear on things. And at the same time, I don't know what my 
ball nuts are rated for the the actual nut that rides along the ball screw they have a top speed too so so first of all you're supposed to be limited by your ball screw critical speed and then above and beyond that there's also another speed that the ball nut doesn't want to just you know fly across the, the the ball screw at and so uh the thing is though I, i'm getting i'm getting 12 inches a second uh without any ball screw whip that i could detect which hey that's fantastic i'm happy about that like this chineseium ball screw i actually maybe got a lucky one and it's it's really nice so the the cool thing is i can probably set my rapid speed around eight inches a second and still be fine i mean that's that's a little bit conservative from those numbers that i was seeing and it's still twice what i thought my max speed was going to be so i mean what's the benefit of that i just the head gets around the table faster Mm -hmm. none of this impacts my cutting speed because i'm already well well above excuse me what my general cutting speed is going to be i mean i may try faster cutting speeds faster and deeper cutting speeds now that i know that i can and i easily have enough force to do it yeah you have the torque so for it. i have the torque for it so so i'm gonna have to do a lot of playing around because like a lot of times whenever i've been cutting I, i've been sticking to the old rule of half your diameter of your end mill is the depth at which you cut so if you have a quarter inch end mill you, all your depths are an eighth of an inch mm -hmm. But that's just a rule of thumb. You don't have to stick to that. I mean, there's some people who cut plywood at full depth. They just plunge in and just hog across, and 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 it works, right? You can you can get away with that. So, it, you know, if I can reduce the number of depths, that significantly reduces your cut time. Mm -hmm. uh, how many, however many times you have to drive the thing around a rectangle to get your part, you know. So, all this to be said, I'm I'm excited because my calculations were off. But they were way off in, in the right favor. direction. In the right, yeah, in the right direction. They're, they were off and, in and, the conservative direction. It, it it is a little bit annoying because it's like, what did I do wrong in my calculations then? Or are all these calculators I found online are they just are they super conservative or are they wrong in some way? Or am I just not understanding the inputs? I don't know. Because uh, I mean, there's even charts. Like if you just go to Google and you type in like ball screw whip charts there's these charts that'll show you know here's your diameter here's the your length and here's your um material max rpm kind of thing and they all agree they say 600 rpm well i've got one here that's not doing that so i wonder I if there's, there's a, a material like if you have a harder ball screw it's going to whip less because it's going to be more rigid the, the, and there is also a factor of w one one side of the ball screw is fixed, the other side is has a has a uh, a nut on it that actually pulls the the ball screw into tension. I know that if you apply more tension, you can get higher speeds out of it. So. I, the thing is, I know I mine's not under a ridiculous amount of tension. I just basically snugged it up. So, I. All of it to be said, I have no idea why it's good, but maybe, it's good. Maybe you put a little, little more or mustard on that 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 uh, tension force. Then maybe I did. May yeah, and maybe it actually doesn't take that much to get increases out of it. I mean, if you go to YouTube and you type in ball screw whip, there's tons of examples of you know 
you could see them people taking them up to speed and they just flop all over the place you know the other thing is maybe it's perhaps that my my gantry is super rigid and all of my connections are into you know seven eighth inch aluminum and it's just really rigid and that's working in my favor it's it's possible i'm i'm not sure all of it oh yeah there's there's actually some some people who have some very uh unique solutions shall we say that there's a, a video on youtube of a guy who made a device that's like a neoprene it's like a it's like a, a, a u-shaped like almost like a horseshoe that that the ball screw rides in it so it's actually physically making contact with this thing and if it ever starts to whip this thing dampens the oscillations but it's also in the way of the head right so if the head comes by it's a spring loaded so it'll move out of the way of the ball screw and then and then pop back into position <laughs> parker's face is like that seems like a terrible solution yeah. Uh, and and I agree. I would I wouldn't want to do that. But uh, but it, it is unique, and you know that is just they don't weird. have ball screw. They they don't have ball screw whip because they just dampen it. You know. Yeah. Uh, which okay, uh, fair enough. So so yeah, I got a handful of other things. Now that I've proven that one of the axes is good and great, I'm actually going to pick up everything else for it. And I'm and I'm hoping to get the machine in the next month or so to the point where I can get some chips on it. And so it's. The, the, I can get all the stuff in and get it cutting chips. After that, the big thing is cable management. So that's like all your cable chains and all of that extra stuff. Why don't you use a rapid harness? Nice. Well, yeah, it's got to still be like flexible and flex in the way I want it to be. Actually, the, the harness would be really cool if you did the harness inside of a E-chain. That would be pretty legit. I haven't figured any of that out yet, though. So how I want to actually do all the cable management. I'm I'm sort of I got the frame done and I got all the pieces picked out that I wanted and I just I just figured I'll figure that out. Later. I thought you were doing like a a a an umbilical. Um, yeah, I was gonna call like a uh, a crab grain a you know crab crane game kind of thing. Yeah, where where it it, it suspends down from the ceiling. Uh, I haven't decided yet if I want to go classic, you know, E-chain in both axes or if I want to umbilical from the ceiling. I think um, umbilical from the ceiling would actually reduce the amount of cable I need by a lot because you just don't have to travel as far. Uh, but I, I just, yeah, I haven't, I haven't decided because if I ever want to move this CNC and put it in a different place, that would mean completely redoing the wiring, right? So do I do it? air quotes correct now or am i expecting to be in this basement for a long time i mean you don't have to put it to the ceiling you can make a an like a upper a swing arm <laughs> swing arm yeah kind of like at a yeah. uh, coin op washer place yeah you know yeah. they have the hoses that go up to the ceiling and they have the little arm to just swing around that has the hose yeah, for yeah. your spray gun and stuff yeah yeah because i was thinking of we talked about this before, but but put the the cable bundle and the dust collection zip tie those together and have those come down to the head, mm-hmm. and then it's all kind of it's just all in one and it yeah, makes it all easier. in one. Um, but I I just want to get it up and running and getting chips sooner than later. So actually, after the podcast, I'm gonna go buy some parts. 
And, and one thing actually to mention about that the Y direction, so moving the gantry, I, I'm go, I have a dual X or dual Y drive. So it's two stepper motors, two ball screws, one on either end. And something that I I didn't even think about it, but I, I was reading about it just the other day and I'm really glad I did. Um, I almost made the mistake of buying two different motors with two different drivers and two different power supplies. Different motors, different drivers is fine, but if they're both on the same axis, it makes a way more sense to make them run off the same power supply. That way, they both receive exactly the same voltage, and if there's any voltage droop, they, uh, they both the receive time. that. They experience it at the same time so that there's no chance that the gantry tries to crab walk or that one advances more than the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes it a lot more repeatable whenever you're doing a shared axis for the for the y direction so in other words i was using in my in my uh, x uh, axis i have a 60 volt 6 amp power supply for my for my uh, y axis i'm going to need a 60 volt 12 or 15 amp uh, which which surprisingly like it's not that expensive like it's like 40 bucks or something like that to get to get a switch mode that can do that so yeah, I get to I get to buy some parts and hopefully I'll be getting some chips cut fairly soon. Well, cool. Looking forward to it. Yep. Got two projects that are in the works. Wanna wrap it up? Yeah. So that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. Take it easy. Later, everyone. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steve and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at MacFab.com slash Slack. And also check out our events page. It is MacFab.com slash events.